Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We saw you watching from the sideline as Dustin got the second try. What's going to go into your mind at that point? Just hoping he made it. Um, and it was, you know, I'm happy he did. It reminded me a lot of last year's team, just the way they, they stuck at it and kept fighting and kept fighting. And, you know, good things will happen eventually. And, and that's what happened today. These guys move in the right direction. Our improvement as a team never changes. Our, our focus as a team never changes, and that's our improvement. What was your message to him there in that last two-minute drill? Don't screw it up. You know, that is valuable advice in pretty much any and every context. Don't screw it up. We've got two hours to not screw it up or otherwise here on PFT Live Friday morning into week two. Week two's already begun. He's Peter King. I'm Mike Florio. We're getting spoiled, Peter, by these primetime games. We're two for two with great Thursday night games. I hope we can keep it going. I see the Texans on the schedule for next week, so I'm going to be a little skeptical, but you never know. They're 1-0, only team in their division that's 1-0, so I'm going to cross my fingers and hope. Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Mike. You know, I just was reminded last night watching that game to the bitter end. There's a reason why teams lose in the NFL. And it might be, you know, everybody can isolate, and and I am too. It's an easy go to the week, Dexter Lawrence, uh, for jumping offside when uh, Washington misses the field goal from 48 yards. They get another shot, obviously. Dustin Hopkins puts it in clearly uh, from 43. But there are so many things that happen in that game. And I want to isolate just on one, if we can, just on one. And that is with two minutes and 16 seconds left in the fourth quarter, the Giants get a great interception. James Bradbury, as pretty and as smart and well-timed an interception as you will ever see. And so what happens after that? The Giants then take 16, 1-6 seconds off the clock 
and they give Washington the ball back at the two-minute warning with one timeout left. Okay? And so I'm just left to say to myself, well, wait a second. Wait a second. All you're doing is you're giving Washington the ball back, and they need to go with an aggressive quarterback 15 yards. I'm sorry, 50 yards. That's all you need to do to get into great field goal position. And they got one timeout and two minutes left to do it. So to me, and now we're watching basically the drive where Daniel Jones threw it behind, you know, his receiver, Sterling Shepard, I think. And so those are the kind of things. If you can't run the ball well against this great front and you smash Saquon Barkley in the middle of the line twice, then you throw the ball behind a receiver. That to me, Mike, is what losing teams do. And there's a reason over the last four years that the team in the NFL was the, with the worst record is the New York Giants. And last night illustrated a lot of those reasons. Five straight years, 0-2 to start the season for the New York Giants. And I'm going back to that moment where they did get the ball with 216 to play. Now, Washington acted like there was only two minutes left in the third quarter, not the fourth quarter when they got the ball, but that's a different issue altogether. I agree with you. They left too much time on the clock. I wonder if they were a little bit careful because of what had just happened. Washington throwing the interception. I don't know what you do differently in that spot. You know Washington has their timeouts. They're going to use them on the final drive, or they're going to use them now. They went ahead and used them after first and second down. They didn't have to use one after third down. It was going to bleed into the two-minute warning anyway if the clock was still moving. I just think you got to attack and get a first down. You got to understand it's not enough. Yes, you've got to get to a essentially first down. take three knees and kick a field goal. You have to get a first down there, Mike. And the reason that you do is because it's one thing to say, well, Washington's got a backup quarterback. We've seen enough now in his last two football games against Tampa and last night against the Giants to know that Taylor Heineke has a damn good chance of moving his team down the field with two minutes left and one timeout. And he did. That is what bothered me about this game. The fact that the Giants thought that, hey, listen, let's just get the field goal and then we'll play defense on them. There was way too much time left for them to play so passively on offense. You wonder if at some level, and in that moment, there isn't time for a whole lot of on-the-fly strategy, but he had just thrown an interception. Now, it was the only interception of the game. It was the only turnover for either team in the game. You wonder if he's going to be rattled by that and maybe he won't be able to pull it together. We're willing to trust our defense in this spot to keep it from happening. Well, regardless, it failed. Their defense failed. If that was the strategy, the defense failed. I don't know what you trust more if you're the Giants, the offense or the defense. I don't know that I would trust either with the game on the line. But what's lost in the fact that the Giants ended up losing the game is they looked a heck of a lot better than they did on Sunday at home against the Broncos. The offensive line was not a glaring liability. They did better than anyone could have expected against the Washington front for the most part, except when they needed to gain some yardage with the game on the line. The defense wasn't horrendous, but the offense, I think, was better than the defense last night. So I'm with you. Trust your offense in that moment. You're given a gift. They gave it back. They didn't bust it open. You bust it open by getting a first down, bleeding as much of the clock as possible, trying to score a touchdown if you can, get a two-point conversion, go up by seven, 
and force them to drive the whole field with whatever time is remaining. I agree with you. They they had they had house money at the end of the game. They had the chance to be aggressive, daring, and seize victory, and they ultimately did not. Um, I, I want to go to the field goal for a second before we hear we've got sound and whatnot. I, I'm I'm trying to get the sideline angle because the TV copy that's floating around on social media as typically happens in cases like this. The the key moment pops up everywhere. Dexter Lawrence offside. And I've seen this before with an edge rusher who jumps too perfectly. That because he's ahead of everyone else on his team, but also moving as the ball is being snapped, he still looks like he's offside. The TV copy that I can see, it looks like as Lawrence falls forward, the ball's up off the ground into the snap. And I just want... I want it's not going to change anything. I'm just curious. I'm curious whether it was one of these situations where he got flagged because it looked like he was offside because he moved before everyone else or did he just time it perfectly? But that's the the problem. If you time it too perfectly, you are going to get flagged for being offside. Yeah, you know, Mike, I couldn't tell either uh, last night watching it, but it did appear that he jumped offside. And now that you mention it, I'd like to see that too. But I do think the officials are going to err on the side of the jumper um, or or against the side of the jumper, obviously. And, you know, I kept thinking about that last night. And, and And not that I don't want my 10 or 11 guys, however many you're going to have on the line, trying to block that field goal. I don't want any of them to lay out, okay, but I also want to make absolutely sure that they do not move a muscle until the ball is off the ground on the way back to the, to the holder. Okay, and here's why. Because the officials, it's so obvious if somebody jumps. And, you know, you've got to tell. I mean, Joe Judge, obviously, a special teams guru with the Patriots, um, everybody on that unit, everybody on that rush unit, and believe me, they'll hear about it 48 times now because it cost them a game. Everybody on that unit is going to say, even if you have to wait another split second, don't move. Uh, because, I mean, Mike, whether whether he was offside or whether it was the perfect rush by him, it cost them the football game. It was too close. If it was perfect, it was too close, and you have to know that, and the coaches know that. And in a moment like that, it's not like you need to say anything. It's obvious that you don't go early with the game on the line and a 48-yard field goal on a night when the kickers were perfect. But see how he's when he's leaning forward, yes, he's before everyone else. Yes, it looks like it's offside. Watch this. So see the ball? The ball's up as he's the falling. The ball's off the ground. The, the ball's yeah. off the ground. Now, the, the, the guy who calls offside isn't going to see the ball off the ground. That's the problem. And I don't know who throws that flag, but you're, you've got officials watching all of it. And the problem is, because he's there, boom, that looks like it's offside. Looks like a duck, quacks like Definitely. a duck, walks like a duck. But watch this. See the ball? That's what has me intrigued, Peter. It's possible he was too perfect. And in a moment like that, you can't be too perfect. If you're too perfect, you're going to get flagged. The weird thing about it is if you look at it again and you look at him like lunging across the line, hey Mike, what good does that do? 
in trying to block the exactly. field goal. He's what, lunging what, what, across exactly. the Exactly. Nothing. That does nothing. It does nothing. So so I guess what, what the hope is on that play is that he is going to occupy the center and the left guard so that the right tackle next to him is going to be able to get maybe uh, the ability to jump through that lane. Okay, now watch this, Mike. Watch. He, he comes off. So watch 98. 98, they're yep. hoping that he is able to get through a gap, raise his hand, and bat the ball down. I guess that's it. Because, look, Lawrence did his job in that case if we're talking X and O's. He occupies two blockers on this. Because watch the left guard. The left guard who might be inclined to block 98 now has to spend some time at least concentrating on Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, you can see him start toward 98 and then the head comes back yeah. to Lawrence because he realizes, oh crap, that's where the dam's possibly breaking. I st- Look, in that yeah. moment, 48 yards, I, I, you try to get a guy around the edge. I mean, you know what? They weren't even trying to set up a jumper or anything like that behind him, and that's a that's a dangerous play too. Because if you accidentally, it's harder put a to do now someone, setting up a flagged. jumper. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, sometimes you just trust that you just do it very basic, and you hope the guy misses because it's forty eight yards and the game's on the line. And he did. That's the problem. He did. They didn't need to do any of that because the guy just missed the kick. And. I was amazed how effective Dustin Hopkins and Graham Gano were last night. I mean, they were money. We're getting spoiled by these kickers that can just boom. That part of the drama, part of the fun of football is seeing that field goal just like barely be no good. We got a lot of good kicks last night, and Dustin Hopkins quickly had his shot at redemption when 48 became 43 yards. You know, Taylor I'll tell you Heineke, what, Mike. Hey, Mike. Graham Gano is saying to Justin Tucker, hey, you think you're the best guy? Not so fast. I am going to be in that discussion this year. Because, look, not only last night was Graham Gano kicking him from outer space. Every one of them was an absolute perfect strike right down the middle of the plate. And, and you know, I just kept thinking to myself, the Giants are going to kick themselves in so many ways for losing this game. Um you know, there's a couple other ways that we really need to talk about. One is Kenny Galladay having 86 receiving yards after two games and being apparently totally healthy and oh, not being the weapon he was signed to be and then getting a little bit ticked off on the sidelines late in the game oh. because of it. But I do think the one thing the Giants don't have to worry about is make is is having a kicker now so that when they have to settle for three, it's basically automatic. Yeah, we'll be talking about Kenny Galladay in a second. And every time I see someone bang one from 53, I remember back in the 70s when it was impressive to kick a 40-yard field goal. And then it was impressive to kick a 50-yard yeah. field goal. And now we just kind of shrug at 50-yarders because there are so many kickers who can kick them the distance and kick them accurately on a consistent basis. Taylor Heineke, consistently good last night. So good he told Michael Irvin after the game that he thinks he's earned the right to be the starter for the rest of the season. A gutsy statement from him. Let's hear from some of the Washington teammates and the coach, Ron Rivera, on the performance of Taylor Heineke last night. The thing that was real impressive about him was the way he bounced back after the, the turnover. You know, um, prior to that, you know, he went down in, in, what, three plays and scored a touchdown. Um, you know, 
he he came in last year and showed he can sling it. Um, you know, you you just give him you know camp with the whole team that you know that all these practices and you know he can come in the game. And he 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 can throw that pill. Um, we have all trust in full, and uh, you know we on the set. Yeah, no, you're looking at a team who's has a hundred percent confidence in their quarterback. We're a hundred percent behind him. We truly believe we can win with them, and I think he's shown that time and time again. He's he's always ready for his moment, and you know I, I love guys who are who are always ready for their moment, always prepared. Um, he doesn't complain about the reps that he gets in practice, even when he wasn't the starter. He just makes the most of his opportunities. That's all you can ask for. Yeah, they like Taylor Heineke. That was Ron Rivera, Chase Young, J.D. McKissick, and Terry McLaurin. And there it is by quarter for Taylor Heineke. He got it done with the game on the line in that fourth quarter. 14 for 20, 158 yards, one touchdown. That pick by James Bradbury that seemed to swing everything in the Giants' favor. And it's Heineke that takes the team down the field. There really was a lack of urgency. You start this final drive with two minutes, Peter. And it's tick, 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 and throws underneath, and the ball is is down inbounds, and the clock keeps ticking, and wh- where are you throwing to the sideline? And here, there we are, there they are at the 50 with only 30 seconds left, and another tackle inbounds. Only there does Adam Humphreys get out of bounds and stop the clock, but hey, all it takes is one the second Adam left Humphreys on the clock. The Adam Humphreys pass was the biggest play of the drive. Yes. That, the, you're right, Mike. I kept saying, will you throw a sideline route? But the Adam Humphreys play was the key play of the drive. It got them in field goal position. Um, and then, you know, look, the Giants helped them twice, obviously, with the neutral zone infraction, um, you know, earlier in the drive and then with the offside on the, on the missed field goal. Look, as I said at the beginning, Mike, losing teams make losing plays. And the Giants made a lot of them last night. And the one thing I noticed about Heineke... Because I was concerned the way he played against the Buccaneers in the playoffs, it was too reckless, it wasn't sustainable. He would never make it week in and week out if he ever had a chance to play week in and week out. He didn't have that same quality last night. Yeah, he ran from time to time, but Daniel Jones was far more reckless with his body than Taylor Heineke was. And maybe he will be able to stay healthy for the duration of the Ryan Fitzpatrick injury. And maybe by the time... We get to the point where Fitzpatrick is healthy. Maybe he won't be 100% and won't get to 100% until they decide that Heineke has cooled off. But that drive you mentioned earlier, here's some of it here. The long pass to J.D. McKissick that set up the eventual touchdown to Ricky Seals-Jones. What a throw that was. That was kind of like, do I have it? Do I have it? Ah, do I have it? Ah, screw it. I have it. And he had it. It was, it was awesome. Well, the great thing about awesome. that throw, Mike, the great, the great thing about that throw is that it's the classic for a quarterback. Your guy can catch it or nobody. And that's exactly what he did. He put it up tall for a 6-5 receiver so that maybe the Giants defender could have batted the ball away. Maybe. But he certainly couldn't have been able to make a catch on that throw. That, to me, was a vintage drive that if you are Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, if you are Ron Rivera, Scott Turner's got to walk in today and say, listen, if he keeps playing like this, we got to give this kid a shot. And, you know, obviously he's got a shot now for six weeks at least. But if he plays mostly like that, and again, look, it's ridiculous to say, 
well, if you turn the ball over, you, you know, you can't play. You turn the ball over one time. You know, I'll take a guy who in 17 games, fumbling and throwing interceptions, turns it over 17 times. I'll take that, okay? I mean, it, you don't really want that. But if you average one turnover a game, you're on the right side of history. You know, and I'm including fumbling. But to me, I think he showed last night, and Rivera is absolutely right, how he came back from, you know, a nearly fatal play uh, with two minutes and 16 seconds left shows me that he has the ability to accept failure and not let it ruin him. Poor Ryan Fitzpatrick. The table's finally set for that guy. Late in his career, after everything he did in Miami, the Linda Blair exorcist throw against the Raiders during the holidays that was just magical. His other moments of Fitz magic. There is no in-between. It's Fitz magic or it's Fitz tragic. And now here he is. I'm not benched yet, but injured and unable to play and his replacement playing incredibly well and already saying, already saying openly, at least on the NFL Network broadcast postgame, that he's deserved and earned the opportunity to be the starter for the rest of the season. So, sorry you're injured, Fitz. The new guy is trying to take over. We mentioned the Giants' mistakes, and we've heard the stories during training camp of push-ups and laps and other youth football penalties imposed upon those who make mistakes. Joe Judge, I was expecting... Mount Vesuvius from Joe Judge. Here he is talking about the team's mistakes. I'm not going to make any blanket statements right now that's going to go ahead and throw anything on either on any phase of the ball right now. I see a lot of positive things going forward. You know, there's some things we got to improve on and go forward, but I see a lot of encouraging things. That being said, there's going to be a lot that we got to correct off and take a step forward going fast. Yeah, look, he'll, he'll give it to him. He'll give it to him behind the scenes. And he had to be happy with one basic thing. They were outclassed on Sunday. They looked horrible on Sunday. The Broncos kicked their asses on Sunday. So to turn it around on a short week and look like an actual NFL football team and have a chance to win a game that they were slightly favored to lose, could have gone either way, and Daniel Jones is 4-0 against Washington, or more importantly, was 4-0 against Washington. So was. just the fact that they showed up, the fact that they showed up and made it a game, even though they're 0-2. There's 15 games left. I don't know what 0-2 means with 15 games left. I know what it means with 14. I don't know what it means now. And they're still in the NFC. They can still turn it around. He just has to be relieved that they're not a complete and total crap show team based upon what we saw last night. What we saw on Sunday, you could say, man, they're going to be potentially awful. What we saw on Thursday, offensive line was better. Daniel Jones looked better. Saquon Barkley looked a little bit better. He's still got a long way to go. It's just you know, a close game like that, it's going to be one break here, one call there, one moment here, one moment there. Sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. I, at the end of that game, I turned off the TV and <clears throat> I was walking upstairs and I said, the next time we see Dexter Lawrence, he's going to weigh 208 pounds because <laughs> he's going to run laps for the next 10 days. You know what I mean? <laughs> But, you know, look, I was a little surprised that Joe Judge uh, had the velvet glove uh, last night after the game. But he sort of reminded me of Bill Parcells. And I know that I, a lot of times I go back to Parcells. But Parcells, after the greatest victories, always would find something, quote, that we can do better, end quote. 
And after the worst losses, he would always say, eh, it wasn't that bad. I saw a lot of good things. So it was always about having his team mentally in the equatorial zone, you know, right in the middle. And so to me last night, that's what Joe Judge was doing to his team. All is not lost. And we have the must win of all must wins next Sunday against Atlanta. I'm not going to kill any of you guys tonight. Yeah, they get a extra time to get ready for it. They have a game they should win at home against the Falcons. And then it gets a little more interesting because you've got at the Saints, at the Cowboys, and home games against the Rams and Panthers. Oh, at the Chiefs. This is not an easy schedule. NFC East generally does not have an easy schedule this year because they play all the teams in the NFC South and all the teams in the NFC West. So, um, look, it, it there really were plenty of mistakes though he should be upset they should have been up by 10 points Darius Slayton wide ass open as Bruce Arians would say sorry Manchester but uh he he was they're up three points 624 to go here's the dagger what a gutsy call there it is it's over it's over I mean that, that was like Zay Jones on Monday night it's over go home Darius what's going on here you got those gloves Maybe those gloves aren't as good as they say. Unbelievable. I mean, I feel bad for him. Stuff happens, but it's hard to be sympathetic when that's your job. That's why you have that gig. That's why you're a starter. You've proven time and again you can catch the football. I don't know. Am I being too hard on him, Peter? I thought it was a tough catch. You know, I, I look at drops differently than most people do. Okay, that to me was a very catchable ball. I look at a drop in the strict sense of the word. Did you drop the ball? That ball was on his fingertips. And I think in retrospect, if he had it to do over again, he would have dove for the ball. Uh, Because if he dove for the ball, then he's going to be able to get his palms under the ball and not just his fingertips and try to bring it back in. Yeah, I remember a Giants receiver who would have caught that ball with one hand, with no sweat whatsoever. Of course, they traded him. Now, the other side of this, let's if, not if let Daniel Jones off again. the hook. Yeah, well, that's true. Let's not let Daniel Jones off the hook. Let's, let's roll that back again. The guy's so open, you don't have to throw a missile. You don't have to fire yeah. it like this. He is completely and totally wide open. Take just a little bit off of it. Just a little off. So it should have been in stride, both hands. Now, I think he should have caught it, but I also think Daniel Jones should have put it in a slightly better spot where it would have been easy to catch. But, uh, uh, you know, that happens. That happens. And they would have been over at that point. I don't know that Taylor Heineke could have worked Magic down 10 with 624 to go, although I wouldn't rule it out after what we saw last night. Last night was just one of those crazy games that started a little bit slow. That's kind of what we, you know, I kind of like, it starts a little slow and like here we are and then all of a sudden it kicks in and there's scoring, scoring, scoring and excitement all the way down to the end. We showed the clip earlier of the Ricky Seals-Jones touchdown catch and the way this happened during the broadcast, they were showing a replay of it and then they cut to the sideline for the New York Giants, and there's Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones, and uh, Galladay's clearly upset. Now, at one point, it looked like he was yelling at the guy who was holding his helmet, but no, he's yelling at Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones 
not engaging. He, he had something to say. He's not, you know, oh, now he's getting up. I don't know that I'd want to mess with Daniel Jones. But uh, Galladay has been disappointing so far. Peter, as you said, 84 total receiving yards in two games. Not what they paid him to come to New York to do. And they were offering him more than anyone else was willing to pay him. But uh, that was after the third down play, I believe, where the receiver couldn't get the second foot down. Presumably, Galladay believed he was open on that play and the ball should have gone to him. And maybe that wasn't the first time that night that he was open and the ball should have gone to him. Here's here's the thing about Galladay. You know, the one thing that, man, when I saw the contract, the Giants paid him. Wow. I mean, I said that he has to be, this is premier receiver money. And he's got to be given premier chances. And seven balls, whatever he's averaging, 12 or 13 a reception. It's early. We know that. It's only two games. You don't want to make too big a deal of it. But, you know, you look around the league and you look at guys like Terry McLaurin. Like, I think Terry McLaurin is a top 10 NFL receiver. He doesn't necessarily have the tools of some players. It's just like, if you gave me the choice right now of any receiver on the Cleveland Browns, Odell Beckham Jr. or Jarvis Landry, I'm taking Jarvis Landry any day of the week because Jarvis Landry is there every week and... He produces almost every week. Now, <clears throat> you know, there's a Odell Beckham Jr. <clears throat> is like Giancarlo Stanton. He's going to hit monstrous home runs. And I know you love this comparison, Mike, but he's going to hit monstrous home runs, but he's also going to strike out a lot and he's going to go through long slumps. And, and, and I look at Kenny Galladay right now and he wants to be that consistent home run hitter. And I would bet there will be some discussions. Galladay, Jason Garrett, Daniel Jones, you know, the other coaches on offense. I will bet that there will be some discussions this week about giving him more of a chance to be a deep threat. Yeah, you know, every once in a while somebody gets grifted in free agency. There was no one else offering anything close to $18 million a year. Right. For Kenny Galladay and Dave Gettleman paid. It reminds me of what the Jets did with Le'Veon Bell. There was no one else offering anything close to $13.5 million a year, and the Jets paid it. And you got you got plenty of weapons. This is the difference between the Buccaneers and the Giants. They got all those weapons in Tampa. You're never going to see that scene on the Tampa Bay sideline. You see that scene on the Tampa Bay sideline, and Tom Brady is going to pick someone up and throw them into the front row, Hulk Hogan style. <laughs> you just don't do it to Tom Brady. You can disrespect Daniel Jones, and one of the reasons is Daniel Jones is Daniel Jones and Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Let's hear from Daniel Jones and Joe Judge on what it was that was going on between Jones and Galladay. You know, th there's lots of ways to communicate, and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll work through it. You know, I think... Um, you know, a game, there's a lot of emotions to the game, and, and I certainly understand that. Me and Kenny have a, a great relationship, and, and um, you know, I, kn I know we can communicate and, and um, you know, do what we need to do there. So um, I appreciate his passion and, and emotion. Kenny Galladay apparently screaming at Daniel Jones on the sideline. I'm curious if you know. I just saw you guys hugging in the locker room a second ago. That's the first I've heard of it. Yeah, there are all sorts of ways to communicate, some far more aggressive than others, and we've seen this time and again, receivers berating the quarterback, receivers who always believe that they're open, who always think they should get the ball, and the quarterback's got to manage that relationship. The quarterback has to get that guy 
off his case. Remember that's a get off my case. Get off my case. I'm just trying to help us win football games here. It's hard enough without one of my receivers yelling at me. And I remember the story about Warren Moon when Chris Carter tried that crap with him with the Vikings. Moon said, you ever do that again? I'll just never throw you the football. And he never did it again. So uh, Daniel Jones needs to take charge of this relationship. He's the field general. And we've seen it from time to time where the receivers do this. And when they do it, the quarterback needs to handle it. And he was very calm and measured, and he's doing the whole chin rub thing. He needs to get to Kenny Galladay and say, we can't have this during a game. It's hard enough without you in my face. And uh, I think every quarterback needs to approach his guys that way. Look, there's two things about post-game. Okay, number one, there was something because Daniel Jones said, we'll get through it or we'll work our way through it, whatever his statement was. So there's an it there, okay? So there is something there. But number two, you know, Mike, I, I don't know. This is whatever, 38 years for me covering this game. I bet three times every weekend in the NFL, on the sidelines, camera cat, cameras catch two guys, four guys, three guys, uh, either needing to be separated or, you know, barking at each other. It's just the way this game is. And that's why, in my opinion, I don't put a lot of stock in it. I do think that it's got to be addressed, but I don't put a lot of stock in it. And I don't think this means that uh, Kenny Galladay is going home saying, man, Daniel Jones sucks. I hate this guy, all that. You know, it's a heat of the moment deal. They got another game in 10 days. They'll figure it out. Well, but anytime it is someone directing it to the quarterback, I think it's more significant. And when Sims and I were talking about this last week as it relates to all of the weapons in Tampa Bay and how you'll never hear any of them ever say, I'm not getting the ball enough, even though most of them won't be in their minds. One of the reasons why you'll never hear any complaints is because Tom Brady is always spotting the open guy in his progressions and throwing the ball to the open guy accurately. So there's never an occasion where someone else is going to have a legitimate beef because you know what? The ball went to the first guy in the progression who was open. How can I complain about that? I know what the play is. This isn't Sandlot where, hey, I was open, I was open. It's I'm the third read, so you only throw it to me if you get through the first two. But if you're throwing to the first guy and he's not open, what the hell are you doing? Come off your first read. So, uh, you know, the only way Jones is fully going to solve this is to make better decisions with the football and throw to the open guy unless Galladay's off base. Either way, hey, this is what happens when you're 0-2. This is what happens when you're not one of the better teams in the NFL and when you're a quarterback who still has a lot to prove. I was, I was impressed with Jones last night, but he still has a long way to go to become the guy they need him to be, Peter. And, and now they've, they've, uh, they've got a greater sense of urgency. As you said, this Falcons game, it's huge. It's must-win for them. It's too, it feels too early in the season for must-win, but 0-3 uh, is always uh, not an ideal situation. And I love the way this guy can run the ball. I love it. And last night, you know, the one touchdown that he had, speaking of Giants' mistakes, the holding penalty, when he ran it into the end zone and didn't trip over the five-yard line, that was awesome. Look at him go. I, I And I love that they're willing to do it. There it is. Did not trip. When he got close to the five, I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to fall down again. He's going to fall down again. <laughs> he, he is awesome with the ball, and he's smart with the ball. You never see him even getting close to taking a hit. He knows exactly where he is in relation to everyone else. He knows how fast they are. He knows how fast he is. 
And and I, I don't worry about him taking a big hit and getting injured when he takes off and runs it. I feel like he's fully within himself and understands when to get out of bounds, when to get down, and when he can keep running for that green grass or the 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 thing that he trips over at the five yard line. I keep wondering, Mike, what does a seventeenth game mean to a guy like Daniel Jones? And look, they might be out of it by week 10, so this, is, this might be fruitless. But I always wonder when a guy subjects himself to so much, so many hits, so many extra hits, really. When a guy subjects himself to that, how long can he last? Football is a lottery game. We see in practice, uh, you know, the Baltimore Ravens within five minutes lose two of their 10 most important players, Marcus Peters, Gus Edwards. And, and so it, sometimes you just don't know. But the point is, the more you expose yourself to that, and you're right, Daniel Jones does a smart job about knowing when to get down, when to get hit, everything like that. But at some point, Mike, he's going to take a free shot. You know, a shot that maybe he doesn't see coming. A Baker Mayfield type, you know, Daniel Sorensen getting him from behind. And even though that wasn't a big hit, it forced that interception. What I'm saying is, I understand how tempting it is to keep having Daniel Jones run the ball. I get it. But man, you know, that at some point, I just keep thinking 17 games. How long is he going to last? Yeah, no, and that applies to everyone. It's an even greater war of attrition than it's ever been for the NFL, and the teams that stay healthy the longest are going to have a real advantage. Saquon Barkley got injured last year, week two. He was questionable going into the game. The knee still doesn't seem to be all the way there. He did have, though, a 46-yard run, and he looked great there, but he otherwise had 12 carries for 11 yards if you take that 46-yarder out of the mix. Still a long way from where he used to be, long way from where he needs to be to justify the second overall pick in the 2018 draft. I know that Dave Gettleman defended that move during training camp because what else is he going to say? Yeah, I should have taken Josh Allen. Regardless, uh, Saquon, with that torn ACL, coming back, still, still a way to go. We all got spoiled by Adrian Peterson. I said this yesterday. Peterson tears his ACL Christmas Eve and he's good to go week one of the next year and he almost breaks the single season rushing record. That's a good run by he Saquon there, but that was it. Yeah, that was it for the night for Saquon yeah. Barkley. And, and now he's got a few extra days to get that knee worked out, loosened up, and, and ready for the Falcons. And, and you know, maybe the, the switch gets flipped at some point for Saquon Barkley here early in the season. You know what was really great about that play last night? Chase Young is going stride for stride with Saquon Barkley. I mean, I just thought that was so marvelous to be able to watch a guy who, you know, a lot of times defensive linemen, after a guy gets a five-yard head start, he's a running back who runs whatever he runs, a 4-3-8. I don't know what Saquon runs. But he's a running back, so you just say, okay, linebacker's safety will get him. And there's Chase Young running 40 yards I mean, it's just, I just found that amazing. But you're right. Saquon Barkley, I think whenever his career with the Giants is over, the unfortunate part for him is that he will not have played, at least he hasn't played yet, with a team that really got the offensive line right. And most running backs, Mike, as you know, 
have to have the benefit of a good to very good offensive line. And that has not been the case since Saquon walked in the door. Yeah, and if you have a good to very good offensive line, you can get an undrafted running back and plug him in, and he can get it done at a high level. It makes that decision to use the number two overall pick on a running back all the more risky. As I've said time and again, you better be damn sure you're getting Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, or Adrian Peterson if you're going to make a pick that high on a running back. And you know that an injury is possible. It's a, a much greater risk that you're going to get the I told you so when you take a running back with that pick. And that's where we are with Saquon Barkley. He hasn't been Hall of Fame level, even when he's healthy, and he's been injured too much. Not just last year, the year before. I remember him hobbling off the field in the game at Tampa with an ankle injury, and he was never really the same. He fought through it, and I admire him for doing it. But running back position, is that that's where you're going to get the injuries, and that that is another reason not to burn that high, high pick on a running back. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Coming up this weekend, a couple of primetime games involving quarterbacks who have won MVPs who need to get victories. Aaron Rodgers, last year's MVP. Lamar Jackson, the 2019 MVP. Both teams 0-1. Both teams in very desperate situations already. We'll talk about them next here on PFT Live. No, I mean, look, I'm not going to make it bigger than it was, and I'll let you guys in the outside world do that. But, look, we've won a lot of games around here. We've lost a few, but you move on. You know, it doesn't matter if you play incredible and put up 50 or you get blown out. You move on to the next, next opponent. There shouldn't be some big drastic change and alteration in the way that we do things, the way we practice, the way we prepare. If it's good enough to get you to this point, then it's good enough uh, from this point forward. So uh, I haven't changed any of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, obviously, you know, we got to play better. But if we're starting to freak out after one week, uh, we're in big trouble. That said, Aaron, after your last few losses, I mean, last couple of years, your numbers after a loss are absurdly good. Is there anything you can point to there on your end? Is it just, is it just a team thing? Is there anything to that at all? I'd say percentages, Bill. I've been pretty damn good for a while. So you have a game like that and usually bounce back to average things out. Well, he's right. Hey, they have been great. Peter, my favorite stat of the week is this. Under Matt LaFleur, the Green Bay Packers, when playing in California or Florida, are one in five. Everywhere else in the world, they're 27 and four. But in California or Florida, when they got to pack it up and go basically the same distance west or east, they don't show up far more often than they do. And it makes no sense. But you take them home Monday night with Dan Campbell and the kneecap biters coming to town, overmatched, unless you're up 38 to 10 late in the in the third quarter. Uh, the, the Packers should make quick work of them. Now, it'll be time to freak out if somehow, some way, the Lions beat them on Monday night. But until then, there's no reason to change anything. There is no reason to freak out. There's no reason to do anything differently because it's worked the last couple of years in Green Bay. And it's worked as long as Aaron Rodgers has been there. But we're, we, we only have one piece of evidence for now. And that is they got the crap kicked out of them by the Saints on Sunday. So until they 
push that memory out of our field of vision and put a victory there, a resounding old school Packers victory there, we're going to wonder whether whether what we saw on Sunday was the aberration or the start of a new trend. Yeah, you know, Mike, I, I kind of look at that Florida-California record in a little bit of a different way, okay? The Green Bay Packers uh, basically are going to uh, are going to be the home opener for the San Francisco 49ers next week, okay? That will be the fourth game they have played at Levi's Stadium in 22 months. They've played there more than almost all the teams in the NFC West combined in that period. It's just a total schedule quirk along with, obviously, the playoff game in the 19 season. Um, but... But I, I look at it this way. They played the New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville. They didn't play the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville. They played a talent-rich 49ers team twice in 2019 and got creamed once and semi-creamed, you know, in the playoffs, you know. And so I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of that. Okay, in California and Florida, they stink. Well, I am, they Peter, may have because Peter, Peter, records, but here's why. Yeah. Here's why I am, because too many times after Go they ahead. play in one of those games, we hear we had low energy, we weren't ready to play. Zadarius Smith told Sims and I at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago after they got their butts kicked, thirty-seven to twenty in the NFC Championship. We had a lot of guys who weren't ready to play, including me. They lost twenty-six to eleven to the Chargers in twenty nineteen, a team that they were much better than. Why does in a that matter if it's in California? I don't know. I don't know. But it but that's matter. that's where. Well, it's but Peter, when you're when you're. Peter, it's not ridiculous. When you're 27 and four everywhere else, and you're one in five, when you have to get on a plane and go to California or Florida, 38 to 10 last year to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, blew a 10 point lead, and you hear these comments about energy, energy. That's what we heard about. How are you lacking energy for the first game of the season? How in the hell do the Green Bay Packers show up for the New Orleans Saints? In a game where every advantage is falling the Packers' way because they don't have to go to the Superdome, they get to play the Saints outdoors in Jacksonville, how do you not have the appropriate energy level for that game? That's what's glaring to me. Everywhere else, not an issue. But for whatever reason, God forbid, when they have to get on a plane and fly somewhere, they lose something in the process. And it's, it's just, I don't know what the reason is, it's just damn odd to me that it happens where you can go one in five on the two coasts and 27 and four everywhere else. What's the difference between uh, flying in consecutive weeks last year, flying to Tampa one week and then flying to Houston the next week? I'll tell you the difference. Tampa's good. Houston stinks. That's the well, difference. Well, it's a but stupid Peter, if you're an elite, stat. It doesn't mean but you're anything. An elite team. They're 13 and three the last two years. You can't, and now, I, I'm going to be candid with you. I don't remember any comments coming out of that Tampa Bay butt-kicking along the lines of we lacked energy or we weren't ready, but there have been quotes, three of these losses that I can point to. This past week, 
we were low energy. NFC Championship, we weren't ready to play. How the hell are you not ready to play in the NFC Championship game? And then they go to play the Chargers, who they should have shellacked in that soccer stadium that was overrun by Cheeseheads, and they lose 26-11 to to an inferior team. And Rodgers is saying, well, we had issues with preparation. We guys didn't get enough rest. I, I, it's just, it's weird. And my point is, my point is, Monday night we'll find out whether or not this is just another one of these strange data points where every once in a while they step on a rake but they're otherwise a great team or is there something deeper going on if they make quick work of the Lions this is the Packers we've seen in the past few years they're typically going to win games every once in a while they're going to step in a pothole and we're not going to know why but it's typically going to happen in California or Florida the the Packers that we may be getting we don't know yet may have a harder time with the Lions than than we imagine. We just we just don't know. That's the fun of it. Monday night's game, we're going to find out whether it's 2019 and 2020 all over again or whether there's been some fundamental change to the Packers. They lose this game Monday night. There's been some fundamental change to the Packers. Look, you know, for, for our lifetime, Mike, for most of our lifetime, the Detroit Lions have been the JV that the Green Bay Packers can beat up on. Okay, and I don't expect it to be much different this week. But just one more thing about all this. I mean, what bothers me coming out of that game in Jacksonville, and Mike, you watched it, I watched it, we all watched it. America watched that game closely. And here's what bothered me about that game. Where was the anger on the sidelines? Where was some degree of passion? Where was fury? There was none of it. I didn't see anything. I want to see Devontae Adams throw his helmet. I want to see somebody, I want to see Kenny Galladay type pissed offedness at some point during that game by somebody. And I realize Aaron Rodgers does not respond to crap like that the way Tom Brady does. He just doesn't, never has. But where is, where's the coach? Where is, I mean, where is anybody with passion and fury about getting totally embarrassed by Jameis Winston in your first game of the year that you have had six months to prepare for. I just, that would bother me. I don't care if the game is played in Trinidad and Tobago. I don't. I don't care. It didn't matter where the game was. What bothered me, though, is to see that their apparent, their apparent you know, acceptance of this horrendous day. You know who I think was from Trinidad and Tobago? No. Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. You know who Jean-Paul Jean-Paul is? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Very good. Um, Very good. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Sims made this point earlier in the week. The Packers don't have any of those crazy psycho guys whose mere starting yeah. of their own lawnmower before the game or during the game will rub off on other guys who see it and say, I've got to match their energy. And this is one of the, one of the realities of roster construction in the NFL. You got to have a couple of those guys floating around in the locker room, acting crazy. You wanted John game, Randall, Akib Talib, John Randall, Akib Talib, somebody who's just over the top right. because it it gives everyone else that boost they need. Well, why are we low energy? Well, we have nobody who's really high energy. Maybe that's why we were low energy. I don't know. You know, I think it all comes back to Jake Kumaro. 
right. Uh, the Ravens face the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. <laughs> they are favored to lose. And I didn't hear what you said because Matt Casey was talking to me. It may have been something really good, but sometimes. sometimes no, I said it all came back to Jake Kumaro. <laughs> that, well, there we go. Absolutely. And Jake Kumaro, uh, uh, still with the Bills and still playing extremely well. The Ravens not playing well on Monday night, losing to the Raiders. They've got Sunday night football at home against the Chiefs. Here's Sammy Watkins, who has played with Mahomes and now plays with Jackson, talking about the two quarterbacks who will be squaring off in primetime on NBC. We make a big deal out of Lamar versus Mahomes. You know those both those guys. How do you feel? Like Do they view it that way? And what are their thoughts on that kind of semi-rivalry, if you call it that? Um, I think those guys definitely view it that way. Um, you can say you, you're not, but the world is watching two of the best, youngest MVPs in the league and um, very talented guys. So I'm definitely looking at it that way like, man, Lamar needs to win. Um, you know, he's been doing a great job in this league with just how he's been carrying himself as a teammate and as a, a guy that just do the right things off the field. So. I just think, um, you know, he, it's time for him to take that next hump and, and try to get a win. Um, and I'm, I'm, I hope this team and we prepare and the coach prepare to do our best to try to, um, you know, will a win for the organization and, and, him, and him. That basically means Watkins is saying in a very polite and tactful way that my quarterback is full of crap because yesterday we played Lamar Jackson saying it's not about the quarterbacks it's not about us we're not on the field at the same time and that's right but still it was always Peyton Manning and Tom Brady even though it was really Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick it was Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady it's Lamar Jackson versus Sammy Watkins and Watkins not Sammy Watkins Patrick Mahomes it's Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes has beaten Jackson every time they've played and last year Jackson said the Chiefs are our kryptonite so he knows how important it is to get this win their backs are against the wall early they're used to winning week one they uh, should have beaten the Raiders on Monday night now they got the long trip home they, they they played a very physical game and they gotta get it together and get refocused and find a way to beat one of the best teams in the league it's not going to be easy the, the things that I would be really worried about right now if I were the, the Ravens. You know, they continue to have players drop out. Um, obviously, now with Ronnie Stanley, uh, you know, getting hurt. Alejandro Villanueva now moving over to left tackle. Okay, so he's played there for a long time. But there's a reason why the Steelers didn't re-sign him. They were ready to move on. So, I mean, that's one thing. You talk about the long trip and coming home. I mean, here's a team that lands at whatever, 6.15 a.m. Tuesday, and they're at practice 26 hours later getting prepared to play one of the most athletic games they're going to have a track meet against Patrick Mahomes. That's all there is to it. They're coming off a game where the defense had to play 86 snaps in this game in Las Vegas, a very emotional game. So to me, there is a lot working against the Baltimore Ravens in this game. And you don't want to say it's a must game because it isn't a must game. Week two is never a must game. But you do want to say that at some point, this is the team that you have to conquer to win the AFC. You've always wanted to play him at home. You've always wanted to play him in prime time. Mike, I can tell you, there is a burr in the saddle of the Baltimore Ravens that has to do with NFL scheduling. Over the years, 
They have always thought, why don't we get our share of primetime games at home? You know, and when they played the Patriots two, three years ago at home in primetime and, and, and won the game, they felt like this is a gigantic advantage in the NFL to play primetime at home. So the bummer for them is that they come off a short week game out west, uh, all beat up, and now they got to play maybe the best team in football. It's it's going to be rough for the Ravens on Sunday night. Yeah, more than 65 minutes of very intense football on Monday night, and here come the Chiefs, and uh, uh, it's not going to be an easy one for Baltimore to pull that off, but they are going to need it because even though it's going to be a very different team by the time January rolls around, different Chiefs team, different Ravens team, those wins and losses in September become the tiebreakers potentially as the planets align and the and the dust settles on a season. And what happens on Sunday night could determine whether that primetime rematch happens in Kansas City or in Baltimore. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we will rip through the week two slate of action 2021 NFL season. More PFT Live right after this. some of the information you like to hear just out there from him when you know he's talking to you through the headset really anything uh that's that's something that we go through every day um because every time he says something like i'm listening so sometimes when he's communicating to me and he might be joking around i'm like don't don't joke around because i'm taking it to heart everything that you say uh i'm listening so we're just creating the balance of of how we communicate and obviously the biggest thing is just the tempo on offense. We're trying to get the tempo going, and he's he's uh, he's speaking to me in a certain way in terms of things I can communicate uh, in the huddle uh, to certain guys, or, uh, whether it's a, a motivational thing or uh, something that he just want to give me a, a kind of like a little cue uh, to something that may be coming. Jameis Winston off that five-touchdown performance, throwing only 20 passes week one, getting extra time this week. Peter working directly with Coach Sean Payton because multiple coaches are unavailable after they've tested positive for COVID. Saints one adversity after another, 1-0 with that impressive win. They go to Carolina this weekend. Panthers also 1-0. How do they respond with these issues? And I know Sean Payton's the last guy to make excuses or say, oh, woe is me, and that mindset comes in handy for this one because no one's going to have any sympathy for them when it's time to play the game he knows it he's been around long enough to understand it they just have to go out and take care of business you know I was surprised I talked to him the other day Mike about what was going on because look I was like everybody else I saw this and they said wow eight guys out uh and and you know I didn't know who all they were and so he he off the record went down the list of all the guys you know, on offense who were going to be missing. And I just said, wow, how do you, how do you do it? And he goes, I'm installing this week. I'm, I, he said, I don't install, you know, the coordinators, position coaches, they install. But this week, I am the install guy on offense. And he goes, I kind of like it. He said, it brings me back to my roots as a coach. He said, I was walking into the, um, into our hotel today and he said, I, because obviously they're in Texas, they're not back in, in Louisiana because of Hurricane Ida. And he goes, he turns to Pete Carmichael, you, you know, his, his offensive coordinator, and he says, man, I'm like Ted Lasso. And, and, you know, like 
a small staff, you know, trying to win the Premier League, you know, and and not having the staff that the other teams do. And he goes, honestly, he said, it sort of brings me back to my roots and it's really kind of been fun and I've enjoyed it. It's really energized me. And, you know, but as he said, he doesn't have any way of knowing how many of the guys will come off COVID because remember, Mike, if you're vaccinated and you test positive, you need to test negative twice separated by 24 hours. So on the day I talked to him, he, he, they didn't have the test results back yet. So they could be getting one, two, three guys back in time for the game at Carolina on Sunday. But they have to accept the fact that they may be coaching, you know, multiple position groups each guy. Yeah, great test, though, for the Saints and the Panthers, both undefeated so far. Panthers, we'll see how good they are. They beat the Jets. It wasn't as convincing as it should have been. They get a much tougher opponent this week with the Saints. And, Peter, one thing I said to Sims yesterday, you know that Sean Payton with that that Bill Parcells quality, needling Jameis Winston about the fact that he was a free agent each of the last two years and the Panthers never even looked his way a single time. Just to try to get a little bit more, a little more fire out of Jameis. Not that he is lacking in energy. He is going to be ready to go. Bills at Dolphins. Not quite desperation time for the Bills, but they've got the wake-up call. They're going on the road to play a division opponent. It's either going to be both teams 1-1 one and one, or the Dolphins 2-0 and oh, and the Bills 0-2. Oh got to be a ton of pressure on Buffalo with all the preseason expectations to avoid falling into that bucket of 0-2 teams that we see every year. I'll just say one thing. I've I've heard all this stuff. Man, uh, you know, Josh Allen didn't look very good and and all that. And I, I get that. He didn't look very good. He didn't have that same chemistry with his receivers that he had a year ago. I mean, it's very rare. For Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, zero touchdown receptions. But I I guess I'll make this point about them. That in my opinion, that Pittsburgh defense was as, 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 that was the best defense in football in week one. In my opinion. They were all over this, uh, the backfield of, of the Buffalo Bills and T.J. Watt came back like he had been practicing normally the whole offseason, which obviously he hadn't been. So I'm not saying I give him a mulligan, but what I am saying is that Josh Allen really didn't have much of a great chance uh, on Sunday in Buffalo against the Steelers. Yeah, you're right, and that's the thing. With that first game of the season, you never know how bad the opponent is that you've beaten, and you never know how good the opponent is that beats you. It's possible the Steelers are one of the best teams in the NFL, and we're just in the process of learning it one week at a time. The Bills need this one, though. Division game against the Miami Dolphins. I don't know how good the Dolphins are because they should have lost. Damian Harris holds onto the ball. They're 0-1. We still need to see more from Tua Tonga-Vailoa to get to the point where where we think he he merited that draft status where uh, he entered the league last year. So uh, the, the, this this one, if the Bills lose, it's – and I don't know what 0-2 means with 17 games. I know what it means with, four, yeah. with 16 and with 14. 
I remember when there was 14 games, and 0-2 really was panic time. 0-2 with 15 still yeah. to go, I, I, I don't know. But you start losing games in the division, in a tough division like that, and it's going to potentially hurt you. Raiders 1-0. Steelers 1-0. Peter, the Raiders are 5-2 and in their last seven games against the Steelers. And during that stretch, the Steelers a much better team than the Raiders have been. I like this one a lot. Who had the more impressive victory week one? I think Pittsburgh going to Buffalo, really kind of playing a dominant defensive game against a top three to five offense in football. So I would say Pittsburgh was more impressive. I think, look, I thought Oakland really showed up. And what I really liked about Oakland on Monday night is that they had plenty of chances to fold the tent. And they really, really fought hard. You know, I kept thinking to myself, Alex Leatherwood, false start on the two-inch line. You know, and then it creates the Keystone Cops interception, the anti-David Tyree Velcro helmet. The ball doesn't stick to the helmet. It bounces off. And, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, that is going to come back to haunt the Oakland Raiders, or the Las Vegas Raiders, sorry. And it didn't come back to haunt them. They ended up playing well, and obviously they ended up winning this game. But they had plenty of chances in that game, the Raiders did, to say, same old Raiders. But, you know, maybe they aren't. We'll see. It's a huge test for them going into Pittsburgh to play the Steelers in the home opener. Yeah, there were so many points in that game where it could have gone either way. Down 14 nothing. they fought back into it, and then back and forth and back and forth, and up. Uh, impressive win more impressive if they can go to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers in their first game with a full house since the 2019 season Uh, but again I I don't know what it's been lately about the Raiders and the Steelers but the Raiders have had the better of that series 49ers and the Eagles 49ers down the road from me here in West Virginia between their games in Detroit and Philadelphia the Eagles look pretty good week one it's possible that the Falcons would be in danger of relegation if this were the Premier League. So we really don't know how impressed we <laughs> should be by the Ted Eagles' Lasso. victory. We'll find out. We'll find out how good the Eagles are. Sims is a big believer in their offensive and defensive lines. We'll find out with the 49ers coming to town. Look, this is a this is a fantastic game at the right time for the Philadelphia Eagles because last week, one of the five most surprising players in football, you know, Jalen Hurts. Played very, very well. Played with a tremendous amount of confidence. Um, you know, it's it's just, it was amazing to see the presence that he had, both in and out of the pocket. Um, and so this is a great chance for him against a good to very good defensive front. You know, they've taken some hits now. But a good to very good defensive front coming off, um, you know, a really impressive first game you know, by the, by the Niners. So to me, I, I mean, except for the late collapse, but to me, I think this is a perfect opponent at the right time for the Eagles because they're going to know exactly who they are Sunday at 4.30 Eastern. Yep, great measuring stick game, and that's what happens when you're one of the best teams in the league. Every team that plays you wants to see, are we in your category, and maybe they bring a little bit more juice than you otherwise would see. But I'm looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. Rams 1-0 and 
at the 0-1 Indianapolis Colts. They'll be the subject of the in-season hard knocks that debuts on November 17. Colts off to a bad start. They've got five very difficult games right out of the gates. Here's number two. The Rams looking very good with Matthew Stafford on Sunday night against the Bears, taking it on the road. I think the Colts are going to be in danger of taking it on the chin when we compare how both two teams looked uh, to start the season, Peter. I think the one thing that needs to happen in this game, Mike, for the, uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, they have to find a way in, in a game that theoretically – you might get a little bit overpowered on your offensive line because clearly you've got a you know, you've got Aaron Donald and, and you've got to stop him. But I think what really bugged me about the Colts against the Seattle Seahawks last week, one of the most I, I thought it was an alarming number that the Colts averaged 3.8 yards a carry in that game. And this is supposed to be a team that can survive running the ball and thrive running the ball. And you don't have to put it all on Carson Wentz early after his uncertain offseason and all that. And they couldn't get the running game going the way that they wanted to get it going. So if you don't get it going uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, you know, it's not going to be easy to get it going against Aaron Donald and his best friends on Sunday. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, again, this Colts team, not an easy stretch, and they need to be careful. The only good news is they're in a division where everyone is winless, except for the juggernaut Houston Texans. When we return, we'll talk some Texans. There's been a development potentially with the Deshaun Watson situation, and Tyrod Taylor, former Browns quarterback, taking the Texans to Cleveland. Could they pull off the upset of the Browns? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 